Shabbat Shalom. In uh, preparing for coming here um, to perform for you and to integrate into the service music of Salomone Rossi, it um, was clear that a little bit of context needed to be set. And your pastor, Kent, actually came up with beautiful words better than anything I could have come up with as far as a concise explanation of Salomone Rossi's place in both the musical world of his time and in Jewish life of his time. So uh, this is from Kent's blog. Um, So I'll read that, and then I'll provide you with a few comments of my own. Rossi benefited from some of the intermittent tolerance towards Jews in Italian courts of the late Renaissance. Within these settings, he became an innovator, adapting the traditional texts of Jewish worship to the contemporary styles of Italian choral composing. Some people thought he was a sellout, not honoring the old musical traditions of his faith. Many people, however, were enriched by the ways he brought the texts forth in a modern style, helping them to hear ancient words in new ways, just as other colleagues had done with Christian texts. His musical legacy, however, never really caught on. It got covered in the tides of history and was only rediscovered again in the 19th century. End quote. Thank you, Kent. (laughs) So working on Rossi's works in rehearsal and in my teaching at Longy and in organizing over the past months for this and other performances that we're going to be giving, I've come to see a type of musical universalism embodied in the music and the process. They say that music is the universal language, but the fact is that we all wrestle to understand and embrace the unfamiliar, even in music. In the case of Rossi's music and history, we can see many polarizing elements and points where one group had difficulty in accepting what was different from the expected, the norm, the culturally permitted. Rossi was a Jew living in the ghetto of Mantua, yet he was allowed with some caution into the musical circles of the Gonzaga court, although always referred to as il ebreo, or the Jew. His musical heritage emanated from the Jewish people driven to Rome by the Emperor Titus in 70 AD after the fall of the Second Temple. Their musical tradition as it evolved in Italy contrasted significantly with the music of the Sephardic and Ashkenazic communities that infiltrated Italy in later centuries. And there's still much division among those populations in the Jewish culture of Italy. The chant that we hear still from the cantors and congregants of the Roman synagogue rite didn't align then and doesn't align now with European practices at the hand of trained composers, especially those related to the madrigals and sacred Christian motets of the day. So what Rossi developed by setting Hebrew liturgical texts to music that was closer to that late 16th and early 17th century aesthetic was very much in defiance of his own musical roots and was not met with great pleasure or acceptance within the Italian synagogue. 
His publication of these works is prefaced with some 28 letters, dedicatory poems, explanations, apologies from rabbis, patrons, philosophers, and the cultural intelligentsia, all in the hope of legitimizing these unique pieces and gaining them acceptance within both the Jewish and the Gentile community. If we then move to the current day, we can still see some foundations for confusion and resistance with which Rossi's works are met. In the course that I've been teaching at Longy, and the singers that you heard for Kaddish are the students of that course, they are steeped in early music performance practice, being uh, master's students for, in the uh, Department of Historical Performance there. And they're very familiar with 16th century Italian polyphonic style, and yet they're having to wrestle with Hebrew in an Italian pronunciation, no less, and the difficulties that Rossi encountered in both setting um, these texts in that style and in notating it accurately, given the conflict between Hebrew reading right to left and musical notation reading left to right. In addition, the, student, the Longy students have had to embrace the singing style of many of the recordings we've heard from the Italian cantors, often going against many of their basic principles of refined and accepted vocal practice. Among our choirs, we have our wonderful Shirtikva group, less familiar with the late Renaissance and early Baroque idiom. While we have the United Parish Choir, perhaps somewhat more familiar with that style, yet having to wrestle with Hebrew liturgical texts. And then we have our instrumentalists here playing Rossi's music, so appropriate for these period instruments, although they certainly wouldn't have been allowed to play in the early 17th century Orthodox synagogues. So we are bending that code in addition to so many others. And on top of it, these stellar players of historical instruments joined in last night in accompanying the singing of our modern day, sorry, Friday night, singing modern day reform congregational songs in order to draw all of the members of the congregation into the celebration of universalism, inclusion, and the breaking of barriers. So to honor that celebration today, we will play for you perhaps the most celebratory of Rossi's instrumental pieces, where we can evoke his virtuosity as a violinist and an improviser, as well as his brilliance as a composer. So this is his Sonata Sopra la Bergamesca, a popular melody and repeating harmonic pattern of the day. And before we play, let me invite you to talk to our performers, especially our instrumentalists, um, and in particular some who might be playing instruments that seem unfamiliar or even alien. Thank you. Thank you. 
How awesome is this place. When Jacob awoke from his dream, he had no other words but to declare, How awesome is this place. And I feel his words echoing through my ears as we come together in this awesome space together. And he declared afterwards, this is none other than Beit El, a house of God. And we feel this so, so clearly being together with you in this space. It is such a joy, pleasure and privilege to be here with you this morning. The warmth of your welcome has made me feel at home even though this is my first visit. And the beauty of your service has uplifted my soul and spirits. It is wonderful to share this space with all of you, and especially with Reverend Kent French, Acting Associate Pastor Amy Norton, and Seminarian Anna Burnham, and Susan DeSelms, your Minister of Music, somewhere over there, and our Choir Director. Susan, together with Dr. Vivian Montgomery and our cantor Holly Shackner, have not simply been blessed with wonderful musical talents, but they share them to elevate the souls of our communities in such beautiful ways. Reverend French told me that I only had a few minutes to speak, which is always a challenge. I don't know if it's the same for pastors, but do you know what it means when a rabbi takes off his watch? Absolutely nothing. We Jews took 40 years to make a journey that should have taken 11 days, so we like to stretch things out a little bit, but I'll do my best. Today, we unfortunately live in a world that is increasingly polarized and divided. People dismiss those who have a different opinion, and they shout into echo chambers where they hear their views repeated and reflected. In today's world, what we are doing here is arguably more important than it has ever been. We are setting an example that we don't just come together in spite of our differences. Rather, we see that we are elevated and enriched through our differences. We learn from one another. We inspire each other. And we deepen our connection to the divine together. The voices of our religious traditions are so vitally important today as clarion calls for our society. At the heart of both are our belief and understanding that all people are made in the image of God, as your website says, with no exceptions. And when we truly see that the other is made in God's image, then they cannot be ignored, they cannot be marginalized, and they certainly cannot be excluded. If only this understanding permeated through society, just imagine what a different world we might live in. A world where everyone saw and recognized the divine spark in the people around them and acted accordingly. Salomon Rossi, whose music has graced our service this morning, was one of those people who found ways to share his divine spark beyond his own community. He knew that others could benefit from his gifts, and so he found ways to share them with those around him. The biblical precedent for Rossi may have been Betzalel, who was blessed with divine wisdom and was the lead builder in the construction of the tabernacle, the sanctuary, the mishkan, God's dwelling place in the wilderness. In our Jewish calendar of Bible readings, this past Shabbat, this past Sabbath, we finished the book of Exodus, and with it we read about the conclusion of this immense building project. The story began with those verses which we heard read earlier in our service. 
Vai da bear ad an el moshele mo, da bear el bene Israel, vi chuli trumame at, kol ish asheid venuli boti kru ed trumati. Adonai, God spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts for me from every person whose heart so moves them. There are a few elements that are so striking within these first two verses of the story. God does not begin with the items that were required for the building of the tabernacle. Instead, God starts with the intention needed from the people. God didn't want the tabernacle to be built out of Israelite tax dollars. Instead, God wanted this to be a project that moved and motivated the people so that they gave of their hearts and not because of the requirement or obligation. And God does not begin with what God wants or why God wants it. Instead, the initial request is simply to collect gifts. The beginning of the tabernacle requires an act of faith from the people. What I love is that it leaves it open for the people to choose the way that they want to be involved. There is no one-size-fits-all, but instead there is a sense of everyone having the opportunity to play their part, bringing their own personal gift. Only then do we receive a somewhat strange shopping list, including a variety of expensive items, and then finally do we hear the purpose of this project. Fa'asuli mikdash v'shochanti betocham. Make for me a mikdash, a holy place, a tabernacle, a sanctuary, and I will dwell amongst them. We often think about the sanctuary, about the tabernacle, as having been God's dwelling place. But the text does not say this. God wants the people to build a tabernacle so that God may dwell amongst them. We know that God resides everywhere in the world and doesn't require one physical space to inhabit. We experience God in our synagogues and churches, but we know that we can also experience God in our homes, the natural world, and all around us. I don't believe that God required a tabernacle at the conclusion of this project. Instead, I believe that God required the people to come together, united with a common goal and with everyone contributing what their hearts moved them to give. People shared their gifts together, everyone was valued, And then God's presence rested upon the community. Today, as we come together sharing our gifts, we create a mikdash, a holy place, a tabernacle, a sanctuary for God. And joined together with all of you in song and prayer, I can certainly feel God's presence surrounding us. Thank you for this gift of your hearts. Thank you for the gift of this beautiful service. And thank you for welcoming us into your sacred community.